Yeah. Chuck, 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 chuck. Unique New York. Unique New York. The aardvark has oddly shaped feet. All right, Kristen, go ahead. Check, check, check. The aardvark has oddly shaped feet. Talk is uh, as loud as like you're you're gonna talk. Talk as loud as I'm gonna talk. Ooh, you got you got a nice good deeper ish voice I get, for radio. I got, a, I, got a, I got a decent you know it's all the theater uh, training. Speaking are you gonna are you gonna have to be my season diaphragm. my season two? I could be. That could be fun. That could be fun. I like the plaid, by the way. Thanks. So we do this thing now where we uh, we in the beginning of the podcast we like just record the raw like beginning, and as long as I don't say something stupid, <laughs> uh, we I know I always feel like how do you um, how do you start? When off? do you start? I did that like I was on Charlie Barron's podcast recently. Yeah, and like we're friendly or friends. Like we we have a, like one very good mutual friend, and so we were like shooting the shit about him. Sure. And I was like, have we started yet? Like. Yeah, and he's like, no, oh, cut well, this part always, out. Like, you always do this stuff where like you yeah you yap about how was your Thanksgiving, and it's like it, it can date the show. And so oh, if yeah. you listen, if you pick up a podcast three months, six months later, and all of a sudden you hear him yapping about Christmas or Thanksgiving or some event that's passed, you might shut it off real quick. Would you so, shut it off for that reason? I would, but I have a very very short attention span. Because I would say what I find with comedy, like I remember I forgot whose comedian what what comedian it was, but I remember it was a Netflix special. And I like the comedian a lot. I don't know if it was Bill Burr. Uh, I don't think it was Bill Burr. But it was, um, but the entire, I watched it in like 2018 and the the special had come out in early 2017. Uh-huh. And so, and all of it was politics. And oh, so wow. all the jokes were super dated. I mean, this was like the, the very beginning of all the Trump stuff. Sure. And so it was just not that funny. <laughs> You know, because it was just like—is that your official? uh, Well, no, I think it's just. I mean, this is why because like I've done stand up. I've done stand like you've done stand up. Oh yeah. So like my boy, oh boy, my short short version of the many lives I've lived. So grew up in Madison, uh, moved to LA when I was sixteen to be an actress. Okay, had an agent, had a manager. Uh, thought that's what I wanted to do. By the time I was 20, I was like, I should go to college. Yeah. Um, I had success. Like I, I still get like 37 cent. Uh, hey, checks. You, you can retire on that <laughs> yeah, in uh, totally. some other countries. Um, and I think I got one when I was just home for, because I still have the SAG checks go to my parents' house. And it was like, I was on an episode of Without a Trace, uh-huh. and they still play overseas. So it was like 30 line items of how many times it's played over like the last year. And sure. each one was for like less than a dollar. It added <laughs> up to like $11 and like 26 cents. That stuff like, is so interesting. Get a cocktail, maybe a beer, maybe not even a cocktail, maybe just a beer. But anyway, so then I uh, started going to college, transferred to UC Berkeley. There I was doing, like that's where I really got more into politics and uh, public policy and everything. But then when I graduated, I was living in the Bay Area. So then I worked in tech. Wow. And then I moved Boy, to New York. Boy, you got a story. With that tech company in end of 2016. So Trump had gotten elected I was out of the tech bubble of San Francisco. I was living in Brooklyn, but New York. And very quickly, I was like, I don't want to sell software for the rest of my life. Like, there's so many other things I'm interested in, and technology is not not one of them. One of them. And so, I quit kind of without a plan. But in the meantime, I had started doing start started performing again. And so I was doing sketch, improv, and stand up. And then I also that's when I start started to teach myself how to do the videos. Yeah. And so. Circa 2017, 2018. Yeah, I was getting up for like fairly regularly. Like, not I wasn't getting paid. It was like all like free open sure. mics and like just asking for t- like friends who had shows in the back of uh, bar basements and stuff like that. Nothing but, wrong with that. But um, but did stand up and then made the decision basically like feeling like you either you either had to really double down on stand up 
or I'd really double down on the videos because they're very different. So this yeah. this brings me full circle to the point that I wanted to make in that like with stand up it's your job to make people laugh like every 15 to 30 seconds, right. right? And with politics like you have to be a really really good stand up to pull that off, yes. right? Like most of the really good comedy that is it's always super relatable. Yeah. You know, you think of Ali Wong mm, and doing both of God, hers, I love like, her pregnant, baby cobra. Right? And all like every one of my friends who's a mom when she did her second one, talking Which about was, having her first kid, they were like, "This okay. is so true." Yes, that I've watched. Baby, is it Baby Cobra the first one? I think Baby Cobra is the first. I've watched one. that probably. I wouldn't be an exaggeration a dozen times. Yeah, she's so funny. Um, I forgot what the second one was, but she did the second one, and she was just fully pregnant with her second child. Yeah. Um, I trapped his ass. <laughs> well, before we get too far okay. into this episode twenty, said no one ever podcast. Kristen Bree, is that how you say no, it? No, it's Kristen Bride. Bride, it's, like a trick, it's a trick question. Because when you read it, it absolutely looks like Bray. I, I tried stalking you as much as I could to figure out how to pronounce it, so I didn't have you to ask it. Because we've like show. hung out before, and I know, but I have a, a terrible memory. Welcome, no, welcome to the show. Uh, why don't you tell? Well, you already told everybody who you are. Uh, you are the face of As Wisconsin Goes, which, As Goes Wisconsin, As Goes Wisconsin, which is uh, you have a TikTok, you post them on Instagram. Do you do them for like the Journal Sentinel, or is it part of it? Yeah. So basically, so As Goes Wisconsin started last year as a get out the vote digital social yes, media yes, yes, campaign, right. and because it was basically, I got stuck back in Wisconsin. I was living in Los Angeles. Got stuck here during COVID. Started making these videos, and I think largely because last year all the organizers who were getting out the vote had to switch to everything that was digital instead of knocking doors. Yeah. And so there was a huge opportunity to make some funny political content. And so going into this year, which was an off year for elections, it turned to doing kind of just some news, some Wisconsin history, some kind of like just a spattering of a lot of different things. Sure. The central theme being Wisconsin and trying to inform people, but with also make them laugh. And so, yeah, so it's it's all online. There's it's asgoeswisconsin.com is the website where we'll post blogs. But for the most part, it's like short videos that are under 60 seconds. Sometimes they're explainers. Sometimes they're just jokes. Sometimes it's lip like the classic TikTok lip syncing yeah. uh, to a funny sound. Um, any dancing? You doing dancing? I don't do any of the choreographed <laughs> dances. I just that look like an idiot. There's like, nothing right now that triggers me more than TikTok dances in what in, parti in particular, when I see commercials for like Target oh, or yeah. or a gas station, and there's like a family all dressed in the same plaid pajamas, like doing a TikTok dance, I don't know why, but my God, it triggers me in a way that very few things do. It drives me insane. That's fair. I, I don't know why. I have no. Yeah. I have no justification yeah. for it. It just, boy, I hate it. I dislike it very, very much. That's fine. I mean, I think <laughs> if someone can really dance, it's fun to watch. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not really much on the dance trends. Okay. Um, but then uh. In addition to As Goes Wisconsin, about October-ish, uh, I started, I'm the first video columnist for the Journal Sentinel. Mm. And so under the Ideas Lab, which kind of took the place of their editorial column or editorial board, um, we are doing short videos. They, they, so they started their own TikTok. So there's one producer there who's, do, who, who's doing uh, like straight news sure. and trying to figure out different things that would resonate on their TikTok just like the first, like she was like documenting the Kyle Rittenhouse case with a much more um, broadcast, uh, this is the news tone. Sure, sure. And then I kind of come in there with still fact checked and uh, informational, but a little bit more uh, tood um, and comedic delivery. And so we've done, well, we did nine off the bat that were all about redistricting and gerrymandering. Okay. And then we've done one about 
public opinion polling. We've done one about uh, the election investigation, the ongoing election investigations oh boy, I bet in that Wisconsin. Was fun. And then nothing in the comments. Oh, there's always stuff in the comments. <laughs> I just don't read, at least on Journal Sentinel, I don't, I don't read the comments because I'm not, I won't. Res- I would I'm not definitely responsible stay for responding to them. Like on my own, I have enough to deal with like people. I actually don't get trolled that badly on my really? channels. God, I do. Not, you know, what it was crazy because, uh, so the poor young woman who's the producer who was doing all the Kyle Rittenhouse stuff for Journal Sentinel and who was literally just stating the facts of what happened with no opinion. Mm-hmm. She got like targeted on her private accounts. And so in four years of putting myself on the internet, that's never, I've never had anyone threaten me. I've never had anything I that have, made I me couldn't scare. imagine. And as someone who I've, I've made probably over 300 vlogs, I do Instagram stories every day. I mean, I share, I'm very open with yeah. my life. Um, and I, I am surprised that. Uh, no one has. I've never had to deal with something like that. I couldn't imagine what it would be like um, to have to be. You see, nurses now, um, people who you know who are like anti-vaccine or, or think COVID is fake, going after nurses, and you're seeing um, teachers being gone after, and, and people boards. in healthcare, school board, and it's just I couldn't. I couldn't imagine. Uh, having to deal with something that you, you did not sign up for, you know, let, let alone putting yourself out there on the internet and, and having to deal with that. And well, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, yeah. there's those of us who choose. I think that's what people... Exactly. Always, it's like, I, I have pretty thick skin. I am... Sure. Uh, I, I choose to put myself on the internet. Yeah. I know what that comes with that. And I, but I also don't think I've gotten it I've not dealt with the same wrath that I think other specifically women on yeah. on the internet have, which I'm thankful for. And maybe that means I'm just not famous enough yet. But uh, <laughs> hey, well, today's episode, boy, we're gonna we're gonna uh, flip this 180 degrees. I know that's today's what I'm episode about. is called Hot or Not, uh, and that is in reference to the website that I met my wife on, HotOrNot.com, back in 2008. Very classy site. Uh, you would rate people like one to ten, uh, and then you could like slide into their DMs and message them and stuff. It's, so this was pre-Tinder. This was, oh, way pre-Tinder. I mean, this is like AIM, um, Netscape Navigator sort of shit. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. What it, was the other one? Um, so there's always there's obviously Match, but what was the one um, that they also? Uh, Cupid. Oh yeah, OK Cupid. OK Cupid. There's Christian Mingle. I mean, there's the a, there's great a thing about OK Cupid because they had an entire like incubator or like separate part of their company that was just looking at like data, and so they were they had entire like theories and and uh, conclusions based on like dating patterns. Sure. And, like and like so they had like they were using the data for good to like make conclusions about. But you don't men see that women. often. <laughs> and it was cool. I mean, it was really cool. I I don't think the company is even around anymore. Um, Interesting. Tinder kind of disrupted yeah. that whole, whole well, game. This whole episode um, is about human relationships, sex, companionship, um, and what are the sorts of things that make human beings so inherently different than basically every other species on planet Earth. Um, and so I want to get into some some really, really fascinating um, topics here, because I think whether you're a man, a woman, gay, straight, trans, somewhere in between, I think the one thing we all have in common is that we are all attracted to vastly different people. Um, and I want to get into why why aren't human beings monogamous for the most part? Um, you know, kind of get into why do we... Why are we all attracted to different sorts of people? Why are some women attracted to men with deep voices and beards and they want to chop wood and work on cars and, and other women are attracted to um, guys in a suit and tie and drive a 
Tesla and, you know, why are some men attracted to supermodels and, and stay-at-home moms and other men are attracted to, you know, entrepreneur women and feminists and stuff like that. And so I, I really want to get into a lot of the, the nuances of of human relationships and sexuality and all that stuff. And I think this is going to be a really fascinating conversation because when we first met in person at hashtag MKE a few months ago, we started like getting into this uh, pretty deep. And I, I was super... I don't know how we brought it up. Well, because the reason I've always been interested... So like the, the class that I took in college that was kind of my major, but kind of outside of it, but was like the most interesting class that I took was the evolution of human sexuality. Yes. And... It's, you know, largely a, a cultural anthropological class that the, the professor had, his name's Malcolm Potts. He had like studied over hundred, no, like hundreds of cultures over hundred different countries, um, kind of in the search of like what as humans and like our DNA or our hormones or our genes like drive our behavior. Sure. And it was the amount of things that stuck with me in that class. And this was like... 11 years ago. Oh, wow. You know, like certain things just still stick with me from that class that like from my economics class, definitely don't, uh, yeah. you know? And so the biggest one I that always stuck with me was this monogamy thing. It's fascinating. Because like you said, so like there's certain things as uh, humans that we don't do compared to other mammals. So like biggest one, like uh, human women don't show, don't have physical signs that we're ovulating. Yeah. Whereas, like almost every other mammal, birds does. are flying around chirping. Yeah. What 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 also is fascinating, um, not to get too off topic, is just the whole mating, the mating ritual. Like most in like the animal kingdom, most animals, like the pretty ones, are the men trying to attract like birds and. But it's also that is typically in. So this comes back to the, the why. I like how makes, I said men. I called an animal a men. <laughs> why it makes no sense. So so basically the the in species there's this idea of like sexually dimorphism. So where the men are either either the males and the females are the same size, mm -hmm. or the men are bigger. So in most mammals and a lot of mammals, so we think gorillas, we think lions, and we think humans, the men are on average, bigger than women. Sure. But then there's like marmosets and maybe bonobos. But there's a couple, then there's some mammals where they're the same size. Okay. So in the species that are the same size, monogamy is the mating pattern. And so they, they mate for life and there's equal competition of males trying to attract females and females compete with each other to attract males. And so, but the, the standard is that there is two pairs versus in every other species that's sexually dimorphic besides humans, it is polygyny. Yeah. And so there is, uh, you know, you think of like gorillas and harems and you think of like the one lion with all the lionesses and mm -hmm. stuff. And most of the family units in those mammals are the mother and her offspring and the, like the father's not around. He's yeah. like just there to like impregnate and then he's like, and then peace boom, out bounces. But humans, like we uh, try this monogamy thing. And I think it's so interesting because most like if we were actually truly meant to be monogamous, we'd be the same size. And so, but you see it in so many of our patterns of like how men compete with each other for the attention of women and yeah. all of these different things. And yet, like from this class, the biggest thing that we took away was like <laughs> the reason why we attempt, like this, the evolutionary reason that we attempt to do monogamy is basically the infertile sex. Of like having sex not to get pregnant. Sure. Which is why women don't show that they're ovulating. Sure. So it's like the the bond and the attachment that having sex creates. Yes. Keeps a couple together. In order because because of how long as we we like give birth to these like very helpless 
babies <laughs> and that like it takes in order for your offspring to survive and your genes to go on like it's better to have two parents yeah and so that's like that's just like blows One, my mind well i mean it's fascinating and you know i i think you know getting to to the first question i wanted to ask you know what is it about human beings that separates us from every other animal you know like as you said you know human beings are inherently monogamous i think it is it is companionship it's balance it's family it's family legacy i think it's everything that doesn't involve reproduction and sex i think i, I think that companionship is is the one thing that separates human beings from every other species like most people don't want to be alone aside from i don't know you know People that like hiding out in their parents' basement, but I, I think people really they value companionship. They they want to grow old with somebody, and I th I think with human beings, I, I think that is at some point in your relationship that becomes just as important or more important than the whole physical sexual attraction, which is probably the reason why you first hooked up with somebody in the first place. And I don't think we really see that with a lot of other animals. They just do their thing. I know lobsters made for life. Do they? Emperor, like, their lives aren't as long as Emperor ours, penguins, but... uh they they're monogamous for like uh I think they're one mating season. Is it just one mating season? Yeah. And like, then there's like definitely the, the some that mate for life. Is there? But I I don't know if they have the same uh frontal lobe capacity that it's because they're that's what's their how they're wired to do it versus sure. like the desire for companionship. Sure. But we're we're absolutely uh, uh, social creatures, right? Like, which yeah. makes sense. Again, going to uh, evolution, like, if you think about us versus, like, one-on-one, -on -one, us versus a predator, yeah. most of those predators are going to kill us. But yeah. as a group, we can kill a buffalo or we can kill a lion. Hunt them like, to it's extinction. like for our own survival, <laughs> which is why, like, there's certain, it's why we have, like, a guilt thing in our brain, right? Or, like, like, uh, clue into like social norms yeah. because like we want to be accepted because acceptance in our most like primal lizard brain mm -hmm. is survival. Exactly. And, and who's and who's going to give you the most acceptance aside from your your parents and brothers and sisters and lucky. very close family? Yeah, yeah. If you're lucky, it, it's going to be that significant other. You know, I, I've always said my wife is it's it's the one person you can count on to be there for you for the rest of your life and. That notion, that mantra, that ethos, I think is is more powerful and, and drives more people than like fucking for the rest of their life, you know? I Which is interesting, but then we also, a lot of people think that, but not everyone always gets that. I no, mean, no, or, no. Or gets it on Hence the Hence why there's try. divorce. And, yeah. Uh, and like, that's like, that sure. was the thing. It was like the interesting thing of like serial monogamy being different than monogamy. Monogamy being literally like in scientifically like, one one mate, yeah. Versus serial monogamy being like we pa we pair off decade chunks, but of, then we might uh, pair yeah. off with someone else. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> and so like that's like our attempt as like a sexually dimorphic species to, to actually try. Why do you why do you think some people are so successful at being monogamous? And you know you always hear you go to the fortieth and fiftieth and sixtieth uh, wedding anniversaries for grandparents and, and aunts and uncles, and then you see other people who they get married, and then like six months later. We're getting divorced. Why do you think some people just are unable to be in a monogamous relationship? Like, why why do so many people fail where other people succeed? In your in your opinion, I think this is a multi part question. That's a and big a multi part <laughs> answer. So I think one is generational, right? Like mm. you have to remember that women weren't allowed to have their own bank account or credit card until like the seventies, right? And so the amount of fifty, sixty year marriages where for not all, 
But some women were just trapped because mm-hmm. that was like... I would in- say most. Yeah, like they didn't have... If, if it was abuse, whether it was emotionally or physically abusive relationship or whether they were in love with them or not. Or just um, fu- basic financial and emotional independ- or uh, dependence, you yeah. know? And so I think uh, the rise of divorce is also in line with the rise of like female independence. And yeah. like, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Um, which is different than people who just get married too soon or get married for the wrong reasons. Or I think there's a, it's been interesting moving back to Wisconsin after spending my entire adult life until last year, either in California or New York. Okay. Are, were you born and bred in Wisconsin? Yeah, I was born in Madison. Okay. And how many people in Wisconsin are divorced? It's, it's a lot. Like how many people might, so I'm 35. Sure. My fiance, this will be his second marriage. He got married and divorced. Okay. His sister got married and divorced. Granted, she was living in Arizona, but she's from Wisconsin. Um, I have so many friends in their 30s who got married in Me their too. 20s Me too. and are divorced now. Versus... I know more people that were married and divorced than are still married right now. That's wild. But so, and like, versus my friends who got married later mm-hmm. in California and New York, yeah. that I know of my friends out there, there's far fewer uh, divorces. And I think that, like, there's something about Midwest, maybe not, you know, it's just like, and this is a stereotype, so people might not agree, but like, there's just more pressure to, like, well, this is what you do. Yeah. Like you, you, you meet you, someone, you, you get married, someone, you get a house with a white picket fence, you go to college, you have you have kids and like three kids, and, and then it's uh, like before you even like I think about how much I've changed, not only from twenty five to thirty five, but even thirty to thirty five. Oh, absolutely. Of like how much more mature. Like I only just now feel mature enough that I am the best version of myself in my relationship. Like yeah. I look back at past relationships, and granted, you know. Some of the guys were not always great either, but like my emotional volatility, oh, like yeah. the stuff that I did that was manipulative, that yeah. like put my feelings first and like not really understanding the full range of like your feeling, don't let your feelings control you. And yeah. like, I mean, it's, it's astonishing. You know, uh, most people nowadays are getting married in their, their late twenties and, and early thirties. Um, and that's kind of the norm. When I look back at like my mom's generation, my grandparents' generation, my grandma was married at like 17 or 18 my mom was engaged at 17 and it's like i I couldn't imagine babies having babies yeah like being the headspace i was in at that age i I just i i honestly i don't think and not a knock on people that have done it i don't think you should get married before you're like 27 28 i i mean i agree with you and it's like if you do it and i mean i definitely unless you lived a really fast hard life and like you learned a lot i just don't think the average person is but even if you do, I think there's also making the room that like it may not be forever. Yeah. Right? Because it's like you may change and you may not change together and that I think this expectation that you it needs to be a 50 or 60 year marriage is just not culturally yeah. viable anymore because uh you know, I think there's just too many there's too many options, there's too many I think that we've we've like on like Maslow's uh hierarchy, mm. especially in the states like We've reached a point where like happiness and like self-determination and certain like luxuries of like absolute like our sustenance and like our actual survival mode, like we can like think bigger than yes. just uh I need this person to survive. And so it's like if you're not happy anymore, yeah. You don't have to stay. Yeah. And so I think and I think that's okay, right? Yeah. What what do you think? You know, you you look at um a, in air quotes, like a, a general relationship, a hundred years ago, and you and you and you look at now. What what have you what have you seen 
changed in society that has influenced um, women's roles in a relationship and men's roles in a relationship? How is how is a relationship from 1921? How has that changed compared to 2021? It's 2021, right? Yeah. In America, <laughs> just just in yeah, I guess in America because I guess That's where I we live. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I do think that, like we said, there is a huge difference in the the rise of women's rights. Yeah. So if we're talking 1921, ability to vote. Right. Um, then ability to go to college, the ability to own get property. your own, own property. You know, the the limiting the limitation. Get a divorce. Get a divorce. <laughs> have your not have your kids taken away from you. Mm. Like there was a lot of. Um, laws that allowed men to be in control. Mm -hmm. And so you, if you were in a bad marriage, that was just kind of too bad. And uh, I think that is the biggest difference, right? And so it's I like, agree, I agree. You know, and I think there's just, no, this is always, I feel like, if I spend too much time on TikTok, like there's, <laughs> there's these, you know, conservative women who are so, who assume that feminism is, the corruption of like the tight family union and like the separation yeah. of uh, stereotypical male like men and and uh, women gender roles in yeah. the household. It's like no, do what you want. Like that's the the point of feminism yeah. is that you can if do you, if what you, wanna, you want. If if your de your desire is to to be a stay at home mom and and have kids and and that and that's what you want to do. That's what can complete you at life. That's okay. But a lot and, of people don't even you, have that option anymore, right? Because exactly. everything's so expensive. But like that's like my mom. She even though she had she was a great occupational therapist. Um, she graduated like top of her class, and she was really good at what she did. And eventually, she stopped, and she her main thing was raising my brother and I. But then she also was volunteering for everything. Um, but like that is an okay thing to do if you can do it. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of studies that show like the most um, successful and like rich men in, we'll say the country, but probably the world, almost all have stay-at-home wives. But if you think about it, that also makes a lot of sense because if you have someone who's staying home, so like that division of labor is like, you have someone who's raising your children, you have someone who's doing your laundry, you have someone who's doing your cooking. So it's like, there's a bunch of things in your life, you and so you could to solely focus on work and double down on your own success yeah. because a whole bunch of other things that like are mandatory to like, live a life exactly. are being taken care of by someone else. And so you imagine like two working couples and you're both trying to juggle both. Well, your kids are raised harder. by maids. <laughs> I always find it so fascinating um, how, um, you know, a, a typical male female relationship um, has changed because like for me, what I'm attracted to, like my wife is huge feminist. Um, she's very independent. Um, she's choosing to be with me. She doesn't, she doesn't need me. She's an entrepreneur. She works hard. She's career driven. And those are the sort of characteristics that would, in 1950, a man would be like, absolutely fucking not, you know? And for me, like what typically men have liked or been attracted to is just a, a damsel in distress and, you know, this, uh, a, a stay at home, like back in 1950, you know? The, I don't know. I, it'd be interesting. I that's feel not like attractive that's a, to I feel me like that's the stereotype we get fed and I wonder how often that was true. Yeah. And I also that, think you know, that's like, an interesting you know what I mean? point. Like it is I think it'd be interesting to think and also the this is going to sound this is not meant to say, if it comes off as elitist it's not meant to. <laughs> but if you think even today like there is college educated people, people with masters, people who uh like their entire job is just to think about stuff Shit, and be smart. You know, and then there's there's still people who are 
don't finish high school or manufacture, yeah. like work in manufacturing or like labor intensive jobs. And so I do think that there is something to be said of like with your person who is your companion wanting to match your intellect or yeah. at least be able to keep up because it, it just feels um, like the power dynamic could easily be off. Otherwise. Oh, absolutely. So I feel like that had to exist for some, like, right? There had to be you in would, the 50s, there were so. still like men who were doctorates or and they they fell in love with women who are hard to handle or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like exactly. the stereotype of like the the whippersnapper or whatever yeah but i don't i think it's hard to say if that the, was the, the i think there's probably the a lot of men still today who would prefer someone who just i don't want to say caters to them but is oh i think that's i think that's would be the correct phrase you know, um it, it's just it's just fascinating how Everybody's attracted to to different people. You even look at like I I think about um you know all of my um, gay and lesbian friends and family members and how different even those relationships are. Like some like uh you know my sister's wife uh, my sister is a very like feminine woman and that's what my sister's wife is attracted to. Uh, you know I have other friends who are lesbians where it's like it's a very butch female and they, they're attracted to another very butch female mm-hmm. and so it's just like no matter if you're straight gay trans whatever we're also we have our it's like when you walk in a total wine and like everybody's <laughs> going for different brands of vodka and wine so like that it's just astonishing how how different uh we uh all approach like what what is attractive to us i don't know i just find it so fat so fascinating and it's interesting because it was like rereading there's, there's, there was that book, and then there was uh, another book called Do Gentlemen's Really Prefer Blondes, which is similar in that it looks at all these different studies um, of why we do the things we do. And, and in reality, like because there is still this ongoing studies and stuff going on, like uh, what is, if there's a gene that makes you gay or yeah. whatever that is. And like what the good point that they made, though, is like it's obviously not hereditary because if it was, <laughs> um, it would go ex- like that gene would go extinct. Right, right. Like if you were someone who was gay and you, could, oh, I mean, I mean, I guess I mean for see, a lot of I've time always... people were closeted and they were still had, yeah. And now we have science, so that's not totally true. But as far as like the idea that um, that it's not a mixture of nature versus nurture, and I think that is behind everything. Right yeah. there is like there is fundamental uh, biology of what we as humans are hardwired to do um and to how that influences our behavior but then there's all of this cultural stuff exactly that is put on top and how our parents not even just the cultural stuff but then like the pressures the and stuff the with the family and like religion stuff that, like, totally and there's so many other things that influence so, that that probably also shapes who we're attracted to i don't know if it shakes our i don't know i don't know enough to know have insight on like what shapes sexuality and sexual orientation but at least the type of people we are attracted to. It ha- I mean, it's obviously some combination of nature and nurture. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, staying on that that topic of you know, kind of what's built in our DNA. Is it is it okay to to judge people for sort of playing into some of the stereotypical gender roles? Like, how many how many of the you know you you always hear about how like you know, a couple has a baby and then like the mom, you know, like takes care of it and all that stuff like that. How much of that is just like built into the DNA and how much of it is just bullshit. And, you know, like th- it's an equal playing ground. Men, men can, men can take care of the baby and, you know, men can cook and, and all that shit. How, how much of that is, is built in our DNA, do you think? And how much of it is influenced by society and just, uh, you know, 
for centuries how human beings have kind of had that hierarchy? Well, I think, so I think there's a very real, if we're, as long as we're talking about evolution, like there's a very real, if you are having a biological child, a, an uneven distribution of energy on the woman, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're having a biological t- child, you have to carry the baby. You're the one who breastfeeds the baby. And in general, like I think like the serotonin, like the, the chemicals that uh, connect you with your child are much, very strong. Like I've had male friends who've... Um, had their first kid and like in the first year they're like, I just, I wish I could help more, but there's yeah. just like not a lot I can do. <laughs> like she's the one who's breastfeeding. Like yeah. I just kind of, I can like get up. Yeah. <laughs> like I can stay up with Turn her. on Netflix. But, you know, and so like, I think, you know, all of my friends who have, who are working moms struggle, right? Oh, like they just struggle because they want a career and they don't want to give up. And, and, and going back to that, some of them also need to keep working. Mm-hmm. But the, um, that, desire to be home with your kid doesn't go away. Yeah. And so I think there is some part of the natural, what do you ever want to call it? DNA biology of like why we, the the gender, the stereotypes still happen, right? Like there's like an obvious, what we're seeing in the, the labor shortage and how many women have not gone back to work. Part Mm -hmm. of that is because of how expensive daycare is. Some of that's because they don't, can't find a job that, you know, pays enough for childcare, et cetera, et cetera. But like that need, I think the the female need to want to be with your child is a very natural thing. But there's also couples who like that's like she's a higher weight, like she makes yeah. more money. Um, it's completely flipped, and it's completely flips, and that's what be- works best for the family. So it's like I don't think to judge anyone on what works best for their family, it's any of our places. Yeah, right. Like right, it's just like this is the whole point of like self determination and like you do you. Like yeah. how I don't know your life. Yeah, that's what I think. Right. I I always, I always find those. Um, you know, those gender role dynamics fascinating, especially when I look at like me and my wife's relationship, because like she makes more money than me. She's the one that like wants to build things. And like, I'm the one that like cooks and cleans. And I, I have a very, I'm, I'm a very, in air quotes, feminine man, I guess you would call it, which I'm totally fine with. I don't care, which is weird because I worked on cars for 20 years. And she's a very like, Ma- masculine is not the word, but she she yeah, does. A picture she takes she yeah. She takes on a lot of the the roles that like typically like uh, I don't know you would think a traditional man would do. And I just find those those dynamics um, in those sort of like that sexual dichotomy very very fascinating. In in why it's so different for for everybody, you know. Totally. I mean, <laughs> where other species like are so very binary, you know. And I feel like there's certainly. Uh, like any of the studies as I was rereading these books um, in preparation for today, like it's obviously like the pattern or the uh, majority, but like the idea that there's not externalities to any of those is like, of course, of course everyone has their own concept or the way they interpret it or whatever. But like there is certain things that are like just statistically study after study, there's certain like three dimensional things that men are better at. Like when you flip like you look at a block mm-hmm. or like a three-dimensional figure and you flip it a certain way, men are just statistically better at figuring out how to match those two things up versus like relational objects. If you'd find like a like a memory match of like where are these where are these things next to these yeah. things, women are better at that. Like really? there's like there's actual things that our brains do that differently. Stuff is so fascinating. Like the interconnection between our left and the right side of the brain for women is much more connected than for men. Really? That's why men are better doing like one thing at a time. Oh, that's that that is one hundred percent me. Versus women who can Multitask. Multitask. Yeah. Multitasking and, is not a word in my LinkedIn profile. And so yeah, and so it's like <laughs> the there are 
there are certain things that have just been proven study after study that like on average men do better and then women do better. Not to say that the women and men don't exist that are better than, there's not women who are faster than most men, right? That's a real thing or smarter than most men because they're just a genius. It's just certain things. But it makes sense though, because as a, as a species, we have to be codependent on each other, Mm -hmm. right? And so like there is things that are built in to be complementary rather than one being better than the other. Yeah. Like one gender being, or one sex being better than the other. Exactly. Um, Getting back to you know the reproduction and sort of you know the 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 evolution of the human race, why is it do you think human beings are reproducing less now compared to decades and, and centuries past? Again, multi-part answer. Um, the first, I think, because is, we've seen a huge decline in yeah. In so I th- human first reproduction, I think it's, not just in the United States, but all around the world. So if you think about it, it's one survival rates are higher. So before you know, like. Mm. The likelihood of you living past eighteen, oh yeah, was not great. Oh, but the life expectancy of a man in like fucking like nineteen ten yeah. was like thirty eight. Yeah, and so like <laughs> like childhood like childhood deaths were very common because yes. like before we had vaccines. I mean, as mm-hmm. much as we want to complain about, even in the United States, um, infant death is totally. one of the highest in the world. Well, yeah, that's a that's a different topic. But like the for a long time, I think uh, people were having a lot of kids. One because. You didn't know how many would survive. Two, it was still when we were still a very agricultural society. Your kids worked the farm. Mm-hmm. Like your I mean, kids you, you, were the need, ones. you needed them for labor. Yes, you literally needed them. <laughs> that for sounds labor. terrible, but I mean, it's it's true. And then, so then, like a nut. So we advanced as far as industrial revolution, and people moved to cities or whatever. And then birth control and contraceptive. And so once you didn't have to have as many kids, or and then vaccines, and so more like fewer kids were living to adulthood. So you didn't have to replace them or whatever yeah. so i think it's that's like the long view of us versus like 100 200 years ago why people have less kids then in like the very recent the recent like present times i think it goes back to what we said it's like kids are expensive they are i mean it's like, a lot of money you need nowadays you need two parents for the most part to raise a kid i mean unless you're making bank like we are the only we're the only country in the developed world that doesn't have paid leave yeah that doesn't have some kind of form of help like you're basically on your own from zero to five Mm -hmm. like once they like first grade the the government you can send to public school you have to send it to public school like you don't even have an option like you have to at six you have to send them somewhere but until then those first five you are on your own and it's like why do we why do we think that people are like yeah like i'm not in the financial place to do that or Mm -hmm. like or once I finally am, and I'm in my like mid to late thirties, it's a lot harder to get pregnant. Like it is, and there's a lot of risks associated with it. Geriatric, do, do that's th- going to be me in a couple of years. Right? Just that geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> well, there's that that woman. Um, she just she's fifty years old. She just gave birth. Oh, I don't know if I'd want to do that. Um, do you think we'll we'll ever get to a point where human beings will have to be incentivized to reproduce to populate the earth like do you ever think we'll start going well kind of feels because like there's a lot the, of with the war on abortion right now it feels like they're kind of using the stick uh, right? rather than the carrot but um because you, you i mean you look at it and um forget just the continuation of the human race there's a lot of financial repercussions to human beings not procreating, especially in this country. Social oh. Security, m- Medicare. It, our it's, army. At some this point, army we're already... that, this military that we spend most of our money on, yeah. if we continue to just have a shrinking our generation young population, gonna be able to pay for it. like that's a social, like, that's a like a, 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 a security issue, it, right? It, as time. far as like 
the yeah, like the financial stability of the country is dependent on the future generations and, and there being enough people to take care of the previous generations. And if there's a, a financial imbalance there where like there is now where we're paying for all the boomers who are retired and, you know, need social security and Medicare and all that. Uh, it's a ton of, I mean, that is like popular. There's a great book called 1 billion Americans by Matt Iglesias, who is like, uh, he did the weeds on Vox and some people don't like him, but he's like a big policy wonk. And he made this argument in this book of like why America should prioritize trying to get to a billion Americans. Uh-huh. And for it's for a Jesus bunch of reasons, Christ, like to, to compete with India, to compete with China, but also all these things of like it. it, it why though? So we can make cheap phones and well, no, like, why just, do we need as that far many people? As, um, it's all the things we're talking about, like population growth, it drives innovation, it drives uh, competition, it drives all these different things. And like we have the size of a country that we could actually, if you think, if you look at one of those maps at night, mm-hmm. When like the lights are on, boy, there's so a lot of open space in Utah. Much of the and country <laughs> is not populated, right? right? Not because it can't be populated, it just isn't. And so like it's not that we don't have the space, which it also get, brings brings back why I like it's so. I try to look at things and like I definitely lean left, and I obviously do a lot of stuff with politics, and I lean left, and but I I largely try to look at things through because I think a lot of times when you're talking to people who you don't agree with on like a cultural or like a value stuff. It's like, all right, what can we agree on? And I think a big thing we can agree on is the economic viability of our cities, our states and our country. And a lot of it comes back to having enough people who can work, Mm. (laughs) which we're dealing with right now, especially not only in the country, but specifically and have been in Wisconsin. Right. Um, Having people to replace you, having like a thriving, like having more people who are coming up with new ideas and stuff like that. And so when you think of it through that lens, like, immigration is not a, such a bad thing. And no. like having, not just like a free-for-all, but having more open arms of welcoming a population of people who want to come to this country and contribute. Oh, absolutely. Um, to replace our declining birth rate. Right. Um, is a, it's a short-sighted vision to be against that, in my opinion. And it, I, I, I agree. Sometimes when you explain it in that way versus just the quote, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, I think people sometimes... They at least soften. Yeah, their stance. Oh, I, I agree. Uh, immigration is, gonna, I think, is going to be absolutely vital to the success of this country because it, you're talking about not only people that are coming here um, that are bringing a, a different way of life, bringing different innovations and ideas and stuff like that, but you're talking about people that want to be here. Yeah. Like if you're born here, you don't you don't have a choice. There's a lot of people in this country that don't want to be here. You know, uh, and or so don't appreciate. Like, or don't, don't appreciate like, what it is they have. Yeah, and like I mean, I've, they I've always, you always hear actual... when someone gets elected, "Well, I'm moving to Canada," and yeah. it's like, "No, you no, fucking not. aren't." Shut up. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. I feel like even you know, in the, in the frustrating politics of Wisconsin, like you know, I was gone for a long time, and coming back, and the because we're a swing state, because you know, our, our Wisconsin's state and local politics can be, especially in the last a little dicey. ten years, um, are dramatic, uh, and. But I'm like also simultaneously like the happiest I've ever been. Cause that's like, it's also like I fit back, I fit, I move back and I fit back in almost immediately. Yeah. And I feel like it's the same thing that even when you're mad at, you're frustrated with the place that you're from on any level, whether sure. it's your city, the state, the country, like it's still your home, which mm-hmm. is why I think you think about all the countries that are struggling with way more things than we are. But pe- and right. when, like the refugee, any country that ever have a re- has a refugee crisis, it's like people don't want to leave their home. It's their no, home. No, they don't. I mean, that's a huge deal to leave your home, leave your family, leave what little bit that you have um, there to go to somewhere 
completely different where totally. you don't speak the language. You do, you're not going to get a job. Your education may not be a one for one. And so, yeah, it's frustrating when you see the way a lot of immigrants are treated. Because it's like, I think there, there's just such a lack of compassion or empathy of like the desire for a better life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I was also going to Which is the entire ethos of this fucking it's on the statue of liberty but that's the thing it's also there's some like an Give insane your poor, amount of like google um now I'm, not, I'm blanking but it's basically like an insane amount of our best performing companies of the last 50 years were all founded by either immigrants or children of immigrants mm. right so it's like there's tons of proof that show the like innovation and new ideas and also work ethic of absolutely new like new americans um that it's really hard to argue of why we are I know, I so know, right? mad about this, uh, but uh, I'd uh, love to have a, a rebuttal from someone who disagrees with me. Well, uh, we should we should do another podcast on that. All right, final question: who <laughs> who has evolved more over the? Okay, let's just, let's say over the last two hundred years, who's evolved more, men or women? That's a tough one. Well, what is the criteria for whatever you want it to be? Dealer's choice. Evolved is a specific word. Uh, not evolved like bio- biology, biologically. Like, like who? Like bi- who has much different? Who? Who? Who's lives are much more different? Like if you look, if you look at like uh, a typical like a, a woman, a female in whatever eighteen fifty, and then now, the same thing with a man. Wh- which one looks? vastly different and has has a a, a vastly different life than they Women. do. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree too. I would agree too. But I think that's more cuz of like le- legal cultural changes. Yeah. I don't know how much Now here's the, okay, changed, now here's the flip. Like, now here's the flip side. Is that because men have evolved more and allowed women and given them the space to get a credit card and vote and, I'm not sure and men not allowed much them. considering when you think about how Women's much suffrage. <laughs> Yeah, it's like during like for the I'm vote, just asking questions. Women were like getting rocks thrown at them and like force fed with with tubes and arrested. Right. And uh, you know, you know what's astonishing during women's suffrage was there was a whole revolution in group of women who didn't want the right to vote. They didn't want independence. They didn't. They were totally okay being. They had no place in politics. They had no place. Uh, at conversations at the kitchen table, they had no place having a job. Like, and they—that's what they. But I think this is also that's like, just oh, mind-boggling. Do we have time to kind of get into this? Um, we got five minutes. All right. I think it's so interesting because to bring this full circle of talking about evolution and like a lot of women's survival mechanism is their proximity to men who can provide resources, mm. especially in agricultural like countries and where are belief that we don't need the resources associated with a man um, in order for us to survive and for our children to survive. Sure. And I think that is very deeply ingrained in someone. It's like, it's why in certain cultures where it's better as a woman, it's better to be married to a man who has multiple wives, but a lot of resources than a poor man. Right. Because ultimately in your lizard brain, (sighs) there is more success at your children like you are willing to share someone with a lot of resources than be monogamous with someone who has less resources. And so I think in that case of like, and even, you know, we can argue now there is like 
the reason why we always see like this like every election cycle that these like white women who vote for Donald Trump and the like proximity to male power is protection. And I think that that also can probably explain a lot of the women who didn't want the right to vote because they just wanted to be under the protection of uh, their fathers, it probably of came their husbands. A lot of caveats of that independence is was probably daunting and scary and it was uncharted waters yeah. and wanted nothing to do with it. It's just fascinating. It's fascinating. It's fa- I could talk about it all day. I just want to put an asterisk on this uh, episode. Uh, we are by no means experts in any of this. No. <laughs> we read, like, I, re- I reread my textbook, basically, from uh, 10 years ago, and then it's a lot of opinions on top of that. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the on the this show. Uh, it's so glad to finally get you on this episode. Um, we have to do it again sometime. I know. Thank we you have, so much, We Kristen. brought up so many topics. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Boom. Was that, that, was a, that was a long episode.